The following audio is brought to you by the Davenant Institute and was recorded during the 2019 Convivium Irenicum at Davenant House. To learn more about or to support the Davenant Institute, go to davenantinstitute.org and scroll to Get Involved. The theme of the 2019 Convivium is Reforming Justice. Protestant Wisdom, Economic Freedom, and Modern Justice. Brian Dykema, guest speaker for the Convivium, leads this keynote discussion. Brian is Program Director for Work and Economics at Cardis and Senior Editor with Comet Magazine. The title to the discussion is The Parameters and Practice of Social Justice. So there is the, the Pierre Paolo Donati uh, piece on subsidiarity. Uh, that that uh, was assigned. There was Kuiper on manual labor, and then there was some of Jonathan's work on um, an active limited state. And so the sort of three uh, areas, three, maybe four areas that I'm hoping for us to discuss sort of uh, jumps off of, of my talk yesterday, which feels like a long time ago actually already. We've done a lot, we've done a lot of work. But there's sort of three, um, three things that I'm, I'm hoping for, for all of us to discuss. One is, um, the biblical basis and, and the, un the understanding of when we're talking about subsidiarity and sphere sovereignty and the sort of Christian social program that developed to pursue justice that, that was in response, that was started with Grun, um, sort of developed under Kuiper, and also in parallel developed with Leo XIII and another sort of the Catholic social tradition and sort of ended up with Pierre Paul Donati uh, uh, offering what I think is still one of the best descriptions of of subsidiarity that, I, that I've read in some time. What I want to talk about is that, that sort of development occurred within Christian, within Christian circles and the biblical case for it is, I think, uncertain. It's one of these cases where he said, look, if we're pursuing justice, one of the things we can't do is simply say, the Bible says X, therefore we must do Y in the modern, modern state or the modern, modern society. And so what I would love us to sort of talk a little bit about is the extent to which that program, which um, many, if you're, they're actually looking to get involved in politics, not, not in the classroom, but in the, in the world of politics and put forward policies from a Christian perspective, is the extent to which that program is a Christian one, which I think it is, and how we would arrive at that sort of conclusion that it is or is not a Christian. So that's so one. So that's basically um, sphere sovereignty, subsidiarity, and its biblical roots. Uh, yes or no, sort of a discussion. So that's sort of the, that's the question I'm, I'm posing to you that I want you to respond. And I assume like, it's sort of like, I, I've, I've been here for, you know, less than 24 hours at this point, but I've very quickly noticed that it's like, you know, everyone in here is a little bit like Tinder and you ask a question just goes, <laughs> and uh, I anticipate, <laughs> I anticipate that happening on that. So that's one question that I'm hoping to ask. And I, well, I, that I'm asking you, I'm looking you respond. The second one is the role of the state. The role of the state. Jonathan, in his chapter, and Donati's work as well, makes the case for an active limited state. An active limited state. And it's the first uh, part of that statement that a lot of Christians, particularly conservative Christians, are allergic to. They, they break out into hives when they hear an active state. Um, and they say, well, that's simply not Christian. And I want to, I want to actually, I want to, I want to push back on that. And I want to test that to see whether or not it actually, that is actually true. Um, 
and yet at the same time recognizing in, in, our, in our modern era the, the sort of deep, um, <laughs> deep state, um, the, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the sort of the, the expansion, the expansion of the state into uh, um, many areas of life, uh, and I think to some extent the harmful expansion of the state, what does it mean to hold uh, an understanding as a Christian of an active state and to actually support that, while at the same time being equally concerned about limiting the state? So, so um, active and limited state, that's the second item for discussion. I'm sure we'll have some um, discussion about that. And then finally, the last one is, that came out, I think it was, I don't know if it was Jake, if you asked the question yesterday or if someone else did, about the difficulty and slow work that's required to discern what justice is um, and the pursuit of it and our challenge of dealing with um, those who would simply say this is what justice is and the sort of activist, activist without thinking, action without thought, which is not prudent and, and ostensibly not Christian, um, what does it mean, what role does the, the sort of the demos, the Christian people, play in the pursuit of justice versus experts, so to speak? And I, I, I ask that question, particularly with this hanging in front of me, because within the Christian tradition, particularly in Europe, less so here uh, in the United States and, and slightly less so also in Canada, although those were present, there were deep, there were Christian democratic movements um, that the sort of organization of the Christian laity led to the rise of political parties that led to um, uh, sort of governance in Europe and, and to this day, and you can you make judgments uh, about you know, the extent to which Angela Merkel and, and company are actual Christian Democrats or not, but the extent to which, what role do the, do the lay people play in a democratic society insofar as we should be pursuing and executing justice? So those are the, th the three questions, okay? So first one is, Bib uh, sphere sovereignty and subsidiarity, uh, biblical or not, if you want to put it in a, um, the second one is active and limited state, how do we hold those two things in tension? And then the third is um, uh, the people the people versus the, the experts uh, and, and how does that work in a, um, so let's begin with the first one. Um, most of you I'm sure are familiar with subsidiarity and, and sphere sovereignty, I don't have to make the, um, Let's just give me a quick thumbs up or a thumbs down on most, but mo I'm not, I don't have to do any. Okay, so working, rough working definition of, um, and we can, and it's developed of course over time. It's not simply something that is, and is still being developed, but the rough is that um, human beings are at the center of social life. That's, uh, our social life is for human beings. Human beings have a particular, um, uh, uh, they've been given a commission to sort of take dominion over the earth. Over time, that dominion has manifested itself in, in, in various ways um, to the point, you know, we sort of, I mentioned the, the two swords theory that there are, you know, the state and the church is sort of both dual authorities. Over time, that has developed to the point where there are multiple authorities uh, within, within a society and those, uh, those authorities each have unique tasks to execute the telos of those institutions which they find themselves. And so a human being can hold multiple offices as a father, a churchman, a businessman, a, an, an arm of the law, of the state, a citizen, etc. And that uh, those spheres are intended to be um, uh, a community that decides about its own future to some extent. 
without interference or absorption by another, another sphere. So there's a unique task given to the, to the Christian family. Um, there's a unique task given to the state. There's a unique task given to the church. And insofar as we as God's people pursue those, um, we, should be, um, we should be doing so within those communities. And the, the insight is that not simply that they are hermetically sealed uh, vaults, but they are also deeply interconnected such that, um, a, uh, for instance, in an economy that doesn't have an, uh, an active church will not um, cultivate the virtues which uh, allow for trust and honesty on which a, a healthy economy uh, relies. So there's a sense in which uh, they are limited, um, but also deeply interrelated. Uh, and, and what uh, Donati would say is they require, there's a sort of sense of they need to be non-absorbed. There's a non-absorption uh, sort of track that the state should not absorb the role of the family and vice versa. But there's also a reciprocal enabling that good families enable uh, good schools, etc., enable a good political community as well. So that's a quick, quick little. Um, but the question always is, and, I, and I've asked this over time, to what extent does that derive from a sort of scriptural uh, conception of, of political life as a Christian? Um, many people say, you know, when we make, I've given speeches on sort of Christian um, political, I was talking about politics in particular, and I said, look, the sort of biblical vision for the state and working on O'Donovan, uh, maintenance of, of rule and order or of law and order, protection of, of the vulnerable, and, 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 and then I always talk about the sort of um, the cultivation of the freedoms of these various spheres. And people are like, I'm tracking with you on scripture for the first two. Um, the state has a sword for a reason. There's constant, uh, there's constant calls for the king, for the, for the ruling authorities to care for the poor, the widow, and so on. But I don't at all see how the third one comes into being. So I, I'd love to, what I want to hear is your reactions to that, whether you've done any thinking on that, um, whether or not it's even necessary uh, to have a, and, or if, the, if it is to have a biblical case, what would that look like? So that's my, my opening question. You see the spheres as a sort of um, a priori that there are there, there are and always have been this many discernible spheres of, of human life, or is it not rather the case that um, additional spheres come into being for the gradual growth and maturation and differentiation of civil society? Yeah. So that we should we would we would expect. We wouldn't expect to find the same sphere differentiation in ancient Israel as we encounter in our world, and that shouldn't trust us too much. Exactly. Yeah. No. I, that I would that absolutely be the case. There are no trade unions in ancient Israel, right? And and there weren't even trade unions in sort of late medieval period or even early modern period, right? So that's the example I used about um, the the Christian social imagination responding to real human needs and forming. Um, institutions that arise out of them. So I would 100% agree. The modern state is is not a um, you know the, is is a fairly late uh, development as well, right? And certainly that's the case with the business corporation. These are unique institutions that. But the question is, there is. I also think there's a certain latency. Um, uh, so on on the political community, we are we are political animals to some extent. So we need some. Mode of governance of our of our common life together. Yeah. So we'll go here and here. Has there been any? I'll piggyback on what Brad said. That the spheres that there's 
differentiation, so there are new spheres today that weren't before. We also see a reduction in the scope of some of the what are called spheres, such as the family. Yeah. Family in ancient Israel was the house of the father, much at least a three generational phenomenon. And that just isn't true, at least not in the West today. Is there a better metaphor than sphere? I mean, that's sort of a yeah. you know, geometric edge to it. I mean, I'm just asking. Has yeah. anybody thought of phrasing this in a way that's a little bit more organic or a little bit more just different that might be better? Yeah, so my, one of my mentors, David Koizis, would speak in terms of differentiated responsibility. Is what he, he's differentiated, communities that respond to different, uh, different human responsibilities. And I actually think that's a, a better way of, um, that's a better way of describing it than spheres, which actually does give that example of, sort of a series of pop cans, right? That, yeah, I mean, um, it's a bit of, it tends toward a silo-ish, yeah. mix the metaphors yet more. Yeah, yeah, sure, time. sure. And, you know, these, these silos next to each other, it doesn't give ease to the recognition that there's this interrelationship, organic, necessary interrelationship. It, yeah. So something, well, on the other hand, it is a literature. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it has a certain indulgence. Well. Yeah, it, it's some, no, I don't, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should work. Yes. Well, I think, and then the other, the other, the other challenge is, you know, subsidiarity is the it's which has increasingly become to look like sphere sovereignty as Catholics have developed it. To be quite honest, it used to be that the church was sort of at the head, it was at the apex of it. It was, you know, the natural and then the supernatural, and everything else falls under it. And that's the Galatius, you know, to there are most August emperor, and he basically said that, you know, the state has to listen to the the church, and that's that's. The, but but Pier Paolo Donati. And a number of other Catholic thinkers don't actually think that way anymore. They talk much more about the. So we had we had one here. On the, are you right on points? Um, oh, no, I was just. Okay. Okay. So is, are you responding, or is it a new line of uh, query? Probably new um, within the same within your same overall question. Okay. Yeah. But um, coming to your question as to whether we whether. Uh, with regards to the state, whether we can discern something like that from scripture, well, certainly the, I mean, if you look at the preponderance of the history of exegesis, for instance, especially uh, as it pertains to the historical books of the Old Testament, the, an the, the answer would be in the, the answer would be in the affirmative, and or toward the end in the early modern period uh, in trying to relate uh, to uh, what to the present political paradigm, there is the the old have the narrative of scripture, the historical works of the court will serve something like a model or as guideboard, constant guidelines as to what a godly commonwealth would look like, uh, regardless of the form of government, which particularly particular the aristocracy, the monarchy, etc. But it seems though that in what makes it complicated for us here is I think most of us who subscribe to some degree of either subsidiary or sphere sovereignty, we would, I think we would discern that in principle. But then the problem, but then what becomes a challenge for us is is that in our that in our context today, what is significantly absent 
is the whole is the notion or it's just the reality of a, of a Christian society. Because when, even when Kuiper was doing his work in the Netherlands, um, Europe at that time was still would still have considered itself a Christian society. Mm -hmm. So what makes so uh, what makes this extremely challenging for us is I think that we can discern the that there is a pattern generally in scripture with respect to what a Christian commonwealth or godly commonwealth would look like. But now the but now the issue is that we are functioning in the context in, in, in which the not only do we have a situation in which the family as one of these spheres has been greatly altered to a large extent, but also to the virtual absence of a, of a quote unquote Christian state by virtue of the fact that we are here in the West no longer I think there's a, there's a sense in which even in Kuiper's day, the, the notion of, of these differentiated responsibilities was, was not a consensus amongst the Christian no. community either. There were, no. some, there were some who would say, look, really, if we're going to deal with the issue, the social question was one of the things when he was talking to the Dutch Social Congress in 1891, was saying that, look, there are some who said we simply need to have more virtuous people and if we had you know, more people who went to church and who were more virtuous, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this problem, so we should focus on, on that. And Kuiper was sort of saying uh, in, in opposition to that, no, there was an architectural problem that the, the uh, you know, this so-called architectonic critique, he said there's a structural issue here with even if people were perfectly virtuous, we have this system in which these workers are not being um, you know, granted, they're, they're being treated like chattel effectively. Sure. Um, or like a commodity, and he says we need a structural response to that. So there's, and I think that's true today. You know, when we, um, you know, we're making sort of arguments. There's, there's sort of two. There's in the within the Christian community says, look, we don't need to do that, or there's not, there's no basis on which you can make these arguments. And so, like, it's we're sort of trying to respond to on well, on what grounds are you coming to the terms for this political program that you're putting together, where you're seeing this sort of vast plurality of institutions each pursuing their own end. Uh, you know, in response to deep, deep human needs, which is, I think, the sort of, that's what, that's what we're getting at. And if I could just pursue that just yep. further, I think, just to help further clarify this for all of us, uh, Ben and I had a conversation uh, last night in which uh, the, the central concern here is, all right, we, in principle, we're, we are agreed. Okay. The question, the question is that, right, what the, and it seems that one of the perplexing issues for us here is right, how concretely, how practically do we then translate what we're discussing here in theory into a type of quote-unquote practical program. Okay, so let's let's ask that. Out of and there's, I'm going to, um, okay. Let's put this. Let's pursue this line of thinking. So yesterday, when I was talking, I was talking. We're pursuing justice, right? And we said there are various, you know, there's the role of your relationship to Soren, where Soren, your dad has to do justice to you as a dad, right? So when he's disciplining you, teaching you, he has responsibilities to do that, which is different than your dad's role in his job, right? And which is different than his, your relationship with your wife, and so on. 
and we talked about the ways in which um, you know various various spheres, business, and so on, is is taking place. But let's let's just sort of try to explore. We, we talked about the way in which business was absorbing families, etc. What are the what are the you know um, We've been, I think, as a community, we've been most concerned about the state, uh, the intrusions of the state onto uh, education. Um, those are at least the big ones: education, family, and sort of sexual ethics is one of the, the deep concerns. And in the economy, that's the sort of, if you think of the Christian conservative world, those are the three big ones: the state should stay out of the economy, you know, not mess around with our families or our education. And many of those concerns actually were Kuipers as well, like. Um, Kuiper made the case for Christian education and a plural view of it, which is, I still think, one of the best. The Dutch system is one of the best, even to this day, the sort of structural responses. Um, but it's not present here. That, that line of thinking doesn't succeed here. So, yeah. uh, I was just going to say, it seems to be part of the notion of spirit sovereignty um, and Kuiper concern for a structural response. Um, in the need for creating uh, structured bases of power within the society, uh, so it's not just. You know, and this is the, the reacting this is the problem of where you have there is only one focal point of power, which is the state, and then otherwise you have disorganized individuals. And what Kuiper wants to do is say no, there need to be institutional forms by which people uh, have their own. Yeah, that's a that's a good yeah. So Although I'll, I'll I'll sort of I'm going to ask a question about it later, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. If we're looking for a biblical foundation for that, um, this might be barking wrong for you, but it seems to me that um, the, the the division of the land and the concern for the maintenance of the division of the land and with the jubilee laws as part of that, we have the jubilee laws with respect to uh, in relation to bankruptcy. But the, the overriding concern of all that legislation seems to be this idea that each Israelite family and clan has a stable basis of power within the society, so that there, no one is no one is just disenfranchised and reduced to um, an individual at the mercy of everyone else. So um, that that concern to maintain the that family plot of land as an enduring possession seems to be where you could kind of have a kind of proto-concern for um, the multiple bases of power in civil society. Yeah. The other, yeah, so, okay, so we've got a bunch. So, um, whoa, this is good. This is the spark. Um, so, uh, I forget your name. Ian. Ian, Jake, and then over. Andrew. Oh, sorry. Andrew, Ben. So, I'm going to just write this down. Ian, Jake, Andrew, Ben, so just quickly respond. The other, the other one is that many people say that even the the the, the doctrine of creation, when the Lord is dividing, right? He's talking about the, the, you know, in the beginning the earth was formless and void, and God separated the light from the dark, you know, the, the land from the sea, etc. And there's sort of a division and a cultivation at the same time. That there seems to be a inherent in the structure of creation is a a differentiation and a flourishing that takes place out of that. Um, and can I just quickly respond on the on the power thing? I think you've, that's exactly right. I think one of the challenges uh, in w that that our tradition, or at least my tradition, has, 
is that understanding of power has been predominantly used as a, the, the state has, has been the monster, the gorilla in the room against which that power, that's the reason for the power. So if you read people like Berger and Newhouse back in the day, their understanding of civil society as they understood it was, was still greatly oriented towards the state. Civil society is important because it restrains the state, right? That's the, that is what, it, that was their sort of um, obsession to some extent that, and uh, quite frankly, I, I would share some of the, that there's, there's no, there wouldn't be an argument about that. But if a, if you're a, you know, sort of scholar of the tradition, that basis of power is not, does not find its focus or its end in, with regard to the relationship to the state. Mm -hmm. That basis of power actually has its own internal end that the power of a, um, within a business community or the power, the founding power of a, of a school is intended to be used to further the end of the, of the school, which is, you know, inquiry and knowledge of God and on creation, so to speak, right? There's a, so there's a sort of a twofold use. There's the power, the use of the power within that community to, and ostensibly to make more power so that it can, it can multiply itself like children, et cetera, if you're thinking about the family. Um, and, but there's also then the, the relationship, the use of that power in relationship to other, um, other institutions. So I think there's been an obsession, I think, particularly amongst conservative Christians about the use, the importance of those, these, these multiple bases of power or structures of power are important because they restrain the power of the state. Um, but I don't think that's, that was the, that's not the original vision. The case that, that Kuiper and Leo XIII were making was that these, these powers are needed for the human, for the human life to flourish properly uh, within those, those various places. Just an observation on that. So, uh, Ian. So, the trend is, uh, I think this builds on the points that we've been making. Um, it seems to me there's at least two different reasons why we, in our life, like to keep certain things separate. So for, and it seems to me it breaks down to either there's separate functions being pursuing the same goal, or there's actually just separate goals. So for example, like um, in a lot of organizations, they'll have a president and a treasurer. And the president and the treasurer are both pursuing the goals of that organization, but it's just considered prudent to keep those two functions separate because there could be a uh, conflict of interest or something like that. And then it seems to me that we also have situations where we keep things separate because we feel that um, two separate purposes are being pursued. So in a lot of cases, even with Christian schools, you'll have a, a school that's not really associated with a church, that's not really under the administration of the church, and, the, and, I, and I assume you do that because you feel that the, the purpose of a school is pursuing and the purpose of the church is pursuing, even though they're complementary or compatible, are different, and it makes sense to keep those two things separate. Yeah. So should we conceive of sphere sovereignty as being uh, a separation of function where there's, um, we're pursuing essentially the same goal, but we have these different um, functions that we're executing pursuing that goal, or is it really a, a separation in purpose where if we completed these things, we would be confused about what we're pursuing? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great insight. And it's actually there, uh, Johannes Althusius, who's a, I think, an underappreciated um, song. <laughs> <laughs> He's not underappreciated here. Okay, great. <laughs> My people. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I keep saying, why is nobody reading Johannes Althusius? And there, there, there are a few of them. I, I mean, in the, I mean, in the secular realm, there's not. Um, there's actually one scholar at University of Waterloo uh, or Wilfrid Laurier, one of the other 
uh, who's a uh, Hugelin is his name, Thomas Hugelin, who's uh, really great. I actually recommend H-U-G-L-I-N, uh, write it down, because he's got some great books on Althusius. But his, his obsession with Althusius is basically Althusius as the forefather of federalism, right? Which is a distribution of power um, within the political community. And so, you know, America is a federalist state, uh, and so is Canada. We actually learned that from you. Um, you know, this is one of the things. You guys are great. Not only do you defend us and spend billions of dollars to keep us safe, um, but you make all the constitutional mistakes, and then we could just learn from them. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. And I and I'm I'm not actually I'm not actually being facetious. When our founding our founders were you know our constitution came in 1867, right? So our founders were looking to the south and saying, look, it's a shit show down there, uh, and and we have to and it's part of the part of the problem. This is this is my Dutch uh, trade unionist background coming out, so I apologize for the vulgarity, sorry. Um, uh, but but that is effectively what they said. And um, while and I've got another joke about it, but I will, this, they said, look, it's a mess. It's a mess, and that mess derives from the way in which their constitution is structured. We can't have that. And so our 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 understanding of federalism is a lot different than than, than the American one. Um, so you have. So just to get to your point, you're talking about the separate functions pursuing the same goal. That's effectively a federalist vision, right? So you have, at least in, in the United States, you have state political authority, and you have the, do you guys call it the federal or national government? What is federal? So the federal government, um, that's, that's the one in Washington, right? That's what you guys call it the feds? Okay, so that, you ha but they're both pursuing public justice, ostensibly. And then you have municipal government and, and, and counties and all the rest of that stuff, right? That have their own, elect their own officers to, to execute justice. So that's a, that's a sort of, um, Donati would call that a sort of horizontal uh, subsidiarity, that there's a, there's a breakdown. And in, in family, there's divisions of labors between mother and father and children and so on. Those are, those are different roles, different bases of power and authority and competency uh, aimed at, the, at that end goal. In, this, in the case of the, the state, it's executing public justice, right? So there's that as well. But there, there is also, at the same time, the functions that pursue different goals. And the, uh, the existence of those within, the, the, within one community, I think, is a, um, one of the unique insights of the Christian tradition that has developed. And people always say it's the West. It's no, I actually think it derives out of the Christian tradition. Um, and that, that those separate bases of power limit tyranny to some extent. Uh, there is a, you know, there's, there's no doubt that um, the president, this is why, by the way, the Chinese government does not want independent trade unions, right? The, they don't want independent trade unions nor an independent church because they know that they are a basis of power which will, which will question the, t the tyrant, right? That's why, you know, that's why um, uh, the, the Soviets were so worried about Lech Walesa and the Solidarity Movement, right? Because they knew that they knew that if people were, were going to associate in this way, set up their own structures of government, it was going to test the totalitarian tendencies of, of the, and indeed it did. Um, and I think what's remarkable, remarkable about that is the, and this is an argument that we've been making at Cardis with regard to labor and economic justice, is that that came prior, it was a pre-political movement. So solidarity, solidarity, solidarność, um, I've stole, by the way, a Solidarność mug from a priest friend of mine. Um, uh, I didn't steal him, I shamed him using uh, ancient, I said he had two Solidarność mugs. 
and I said, you have two mugs in your cupboard. Are you not stealing one from me? <laughs> so I now have one. Uh, I, I shamed him into I shamed him into giving me the uh, the solid Aronosh mug because I was trade unionist, Christian trade unionist. But what's interesting about that, and this is I think this is important to you know, connect to our a bit on the demos and the, and the people. It arose pre-politically, actually anti-politically anti to some extent, not, I shouldn't say anti-politically because it's um, anti-state. It rose against the political authorities. And it had, no, it, had, it had no political jurisdiction. It was not recognized. And it was an extremely powerful, uh, it was an extremely powerful movement that took down the, the that, in that case, the totalitarian government. So it sort of it links very closely, I think, with because it had different ends in mind, and what even though because it was it was a trade union, these were workers in Gdansk, who were shipbuilders. Valesa was an electrician. They said, "Look, we're not getting paid properly. We have no ability to govern ourselves." It started as a trade union, not as a political movement, and just but the very presence of it actually was a crack in the fissure of that that totalitarian behemoth, right? The Leviathan. It just sort of. Um, so there's a, there's a sense in which, and that's, that is a sort of very dramatic case, but that to some extent that's what took place in, in, with, with Kuiper as well. It was the, the Klein allied and the little people who he felt were not being, um, were not being recognized, and that movement arose through newspapers and a variety of things and ended up with him being prime minister in the 1890s and shaping a sort of a large um, political movement that sort of rippled throughout Europe. So there's the... So just sort of wrap it up, there's this sort of internal sort of federalist drive that would separate powers. Um, that's the internal one, but then there's also, I, I do think there's actually separate functions. But for the Christian, and this is where, this is where the whole notion of social justice comes in, um, you know, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher says there's no such thing as society, right? That was her, and, and in one, on the one hand, she's right, because it's not like you can go, who's the social authority? Like, right, who's the, who is the, who knows? No one, no one actually knows what that is. But on the other hand, she was wrong, because uh, in the sense there was this vast array of, of communities that if they are not in tranqu tranquility with one another, there is actually something that goes, there's an injustice that takes place if there's internal fighting between these, these things. Now, the justice is manifest in, in other places, but, um, so I would, my concern with social justice is um, not that there is no such thing, because I do think there is such a thing, but it's that people will forget that there are unique types of justice that need to be pursued in unique ways. That's, that's my, my bit on minimum wage, right? You can be really concerned about the poor, and you should be really concerned about the poor, um, but caring for the poor and doing justice to the poor will take a variety of different ways. So if, if we've got a housing shortage, for instance, right? You look at San Francisco. Um, it's not going to do to say, uh, you know, um, we should just, you know, give more money to the poor. It's not going to actually do it. There's, there's actually a housing shortage, right? So there's a zoning law issues that, that is a matter of justice, right? Rent control isn't going to work. Ontario, that's, that's what they do. So we're going to solve it by rent control. We're going to put a cap on it, right? Which is, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It actually means that the one... And this is sort of tying into you know, the need to understand the deep complexities of, of how, to, how to respond to that. I get that from students a lot, right? We had this, this is a, such a, a hipster thing, but 
back in the day, quinoa was a, um, still is a, I mean, it's a delicious grain or, or vegetable, we're not sure, and the Jews actually aren't even sure. They're not sure if it's kosher or not. Um, um, I have a Jewish friend who's like, we're not sure what to make about this, uh, this thing. Um, but, but, there's, but quinoa was a sort of a big rage all of a sudden, right? I don't know if anyone eats quinoa salads or whatever. Um, yeah, they're delicious. They're delicious. You make curry with them, it's so good. It's like rice and protein, right? So, but the price of quinoa went up through the roof. Right? Because all of a sudden, a bunch of hipsters, from this, mainly from the States, said, oh, look, this is a great high-protein, healthy, high-fiber thing. And the price went from, say, I don't know, X dollars per ton to sort of five, six X per ton. And it meant that Andean farmers, the farmers who were growing them, people were like, oh, they can't afford the food that they used to eat anymore. And so people were saying, we should stop eating quinoa. That's justice, right? Except it's not, right? The, the, the Andean farmers were making six X selling it on the market. Like, so there's all kinds, of, um, all kinds of challenges that I think the one of the things that we can do is to, is to not say, oh, you idiots, and, and not pursue it. Say, okay, no, if we want to achieve this end, we need to think, we need to think along multiple layers, right? So I think, yeah. So is that satisfied? Yeah, yeah? So what are you saying is that it's both. I mean, there's, there's a separation among the spheres yes. based on function and based on sometimes separate Correct, correct. And I think that is, with, within the tradition, Johannes Althusius talks about that at length, the, the difference between you know, various communities, but also within the communities, the need to differentiate authority um, within it, right? And there's some extent, there is a biblical, you can see sort of Moses talking about, it's, it's too much for you, you need to appoint these, these, these various um, people to, to, to take the judge, and there's a sort of hierarchy as well within that, um, right? So, um, so Jake. <laughs> Are these the Acton ones? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm still reading on this and still thinking and don't know exactly where I land. Yeah. But my concern is that I think the, there's some divergence between the Catholic tradition and the Reform tradition. Um, kind of what Peter was saying yesterday about like Catholic social teaching doesn't necessarily get to religious liberty in a very clear way. Um, now there's dispute about dignitati sumare and how you parse that, but it's contested. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you see it in certainly the older um, school. And you didn't see it in the Reformed Confessions originally either. Well, no. So that's a question. Yeah. But um, yeah. the contrast then gets set, set up as kind of this Roman state church versus the free church. Um, and what I'm curious about, I have a, one of Scott's friends. Um, Ruben Alvarado has done a lot of work on Kodemacher, who was very critical of Kuiper in his time. And Kodemacher, uh, I'm just quoting from something I have from Ruben here. So this is Ruben on Kodemacher. Kodemacher saw that the flip side of this free church and the free state was the loss of contact with ultimate reality, with transcendent standards and values. When no standard of value is established, and for Kodemacher this was provided first and foremost by scripture, it is every person for him or herself to try and propose opinion over truth. In that case, the church no longer speaks prophetically to the public condition. It is reduced to an individualistic cacophony fragmented into myriad disjointed churches, none of which make an ultimacy, all of which claim to proclaim the truth. 
combinations, private legal constructs expressive of various consumer-oriented flavors of faith orientation. And so I guess the question I have is, we recognize, I think everyone recognizes that there's assumptions about a Christian society in which all of these things are supposed to work together. And there's also a recognition that we don't have a Christian society at present. And the question then becomes, what do we do about that? And what Hodemacher is saying at the time of Piper is that if we don't have some kind of established church, if we have a free church, it's just going to dissolve into every person becoming his or her own authority. And it, it will fracture. And so I guess I'm just curious, how would you see recovering Christian society while maintaining that free church model? Because Hodemacher has some, like, I'm reading Grun, I'm going to be reading Piper, so I'm not saying I'm yeah. landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that line has a lot of like pull for me, and I, I'm tracking with it, because it actually looks, to me, it looks like Hodemacher saw it coming and it's describing where we effectively are today. Well, the, the, I mean, yeah, it's a fair, fair question, and it's the other one is like, okay, Kuiper, you did all this, and the, the Dutch society is the most secular, right, right. you know, and euthanasia is rampant. Well, I thought about that. Uh, yeah. That yeah, absolutely. So, I think there's an assumption there, and I don't know if it's, it's, if it's explicit or implicit, that says, so the question is, what will hold it all together? How will the center hold, yeah. right? What's going to hold it all together? And so by what power, like what power, right? Holding requires, holding things that are intention together requires a certain power. Um, and I would say, uh, my, question, my question to people who would question this is why turn to the state? Why turn to the state to be that power? <laughs> Right? So, or, or is it a failure of the state or is it a failure of the church to actually properly pursue ecumenism um, and pursue, to properly use its own power? Right? So is, it, is, the fact, is this fracture the fact that the church is not, is not actually executing you know, um, justice within its own community properly? Well, and I would, I would say the answer to that is, is yes. I, I think that we don't do a, um, a very good job of, you know, at least in my you know, domination or in, in any we don't do a great job of, um, of uh, attempting to bring our, com our communities together. I, I think of like the myriad reformed communities that are within this room. You know, we've probably got eight reformed people who go to eight separate reformed um, institutions. Uh, what are we doing ourselves? To, and and, and to, to some extent, to what extent would the state getting involved simply be like uh, what takes place in a, a post-colonial uh, African country where you, these are now, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that pejoratively, I mean there was real problems when they left and said, Here are your, here's your borders and live together. It's going to go great. <laughs> right? Like, so you have an external authority imposing an order and, a, and, a, and, um, and I'm not sure that that external authority is, is going to meet the needs of that, the internal community of the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering... Kuiper, by the way, was arguing against the Dutch established church, yeah. the Reformed church. Right. The Dutch Reformed church, of which there is none here. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think what I'm wondering is, it seems to me that the chief problem you want to raise on the Roman side of things is that it fundamentally misrepresents the nature of church authority. 
Um, so the main point to hit is the Roman side of that. And then the question becomes, okay, so free church versus state church. And then, like, if we did have some scenario where all of the reform denominations came together and you had a predominantly reformed polity, then you, I think you do have the question of establishment. I don't know what I make of that, but at some point it almost, if I'm reading Hodemacher rightly, once you have a sufficiently unified church, it's able to speak in a united way to the public square. And maybe you can do that without establishment. That's the question. You, you, you can, you should, and you must. So let me just speak from a, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm Kuyperian or not in this case, but yes, yes. Like a united church is a, <laughs> united church is dangerous language because we have one of those up in, uh, <laughs> and it, it is, it is, shall we say, less than orthodox <laughs> in many cases, right? So they actually had a, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they actually were, there's one of their um, clergy was brought up on discipline because she, she said, yeah, I don't actually think God exists, right? So, so not. Yeah, She's still clergy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. So I look. I'm not saying. So there, but there are variety. So, but what does it mean to be a united church, in the real sense? And I think, and the, and what power? You know, what would that? Where would that church's power derive? And I think it has to derive from the internal coherence of the of the church, not from the state. Right. I I just don't. Because I don't think that that works. I, don't, I think there's, it, it, it actually works against, it undermines the authority of, the, of the, uh, the institution itself and its power. And the power of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know? Um, yeah. So, okay, so Andrew, I'm gonna, do you want to, is that right on point? Did you, was your hand up? Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, Andrew, yeah, sorry. So... My basic idea is I'm, I'm skeptical um, that like a Dewey Beardian or a Kyperian sphere sovereignty can be politically based. Uh, I'm just on the Wikipedia page for sphere sovereignty and they list a bunch of spheres that are listed, right? Education, worship, civil justice, agriculture, economy and labor, marriage, family, artistic expression, etc. No, that, that would be a, you know, I'm not sure how artistic expression can be a sphere. Okay, so <laughs> let's say the other ones. Um, I can see, say, in the reformers when they were reading scripture, they saw three estates. Family, church, state. I can kind of see that in scripture, um, and I, I see that we've developed these different spheres actually in our society. That's clear. But it's not clear to me that if sphere sovereignty is like a moral claim that the other spheres need to respect each one, that the Bible says, say, uh, the state has to respect the university as a distinct sphere, or that economy and labor should be separated from marriage and family. Again, the economy is not a sphere. Okay, so, so according yeah. to this person, but, uh, that person is wrong. Uh, <laughs> but labor. So I guess my my point being yeah. like, where I'll get this, to I'll get to it in a second. Where is this list of the spheres that ought to be separate coming from, and is it actually consistent with the the vision that's in scripture or natural law? This guy, get this guy a beer. It's too, it's too early. We talked um, about the university having a distinct purpose yesterday, but where does that come from? Because the university was just invented. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yep. So, anyway. 
But it, no, it's a, it's a great question and it actually opens, it's a good, it's a good line of discussion, so I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Because that's right, people say, well, what is a sphere? Who gets to decide what a sphere is, et cetera? And this is, again, where the language of sphere is actually not that great. You, you really need to think that at the heart of the, of the Christian political tradition is the human person, right? Um, that's the, the human dignity, the, the human person made in the image of God is the, is the heart of the tradition. And the, the goal of the tradition is to allow that person to exercise their functions um, to actually to allow that person to obey the commands of God, the first great commission, which is go forth and multiply, subdue the earth. The second great commission, which is a uh, sort of completion of the first, which baptized you know, uh, uh, all nations, etc. Um, so you say, there are a few institutions that are very clearly established by God, family, church, and state. Um, and that's, there's, there's, that's always been the case, and, and there's, no, um, there's just no, no qualms about that. Um, and those are uniquely ordained by God, so that you know um, that you know marriage. You know, as we say, is uh, you know there are three reasons for marriage. First, the propagation of the human race, right? Like you could do the. Um, I loved, by the way, when Kate and William got married, and there was, and that you have this sort of thing on TV, and the sort of this Christian vision of marriage being put forth. First, the propagation of the human race. It's just a great line, um, but those are those are established by God. Right? Those, those are established by God. Although we've also noticed the state was not established by God. Because the state is a unique historical manifestation of, of the political community. Right? So political authority. And so this is why I think it's best to, to speak in terms of differentiated authority and differentiated responsibility, all of which are serving that deep goal of allowing human beings to properly obey the Lord's first and second great commission. So that's, that's what I would say. And so over time, humans, as, as if we are, are fulfilling the first great commission, we will be uncovering the latent potentialities that are within creation and will require new means of understanding the authorities within them. Right? So I, again, sphere is, is perhaps the wrong, uh, it just, it's too clean, it, it seem, it's, it doesn't, it's not historically sensitive. It doesn't you know, understand the fact that history happens and that you know, the the church is a different community than, than Israel, although it's Israel in the same way, right? And so there's, there's that, that would be sort of my first response. We're really talking about differentiated authority and differentiated responsibility, which are all sort of federal, uh, federal differentiation under that one, that one broader goal of, of, living out the image of living out the image of God. So that's the other thing. The other thing is that there are different types of institutions. The family is a natural institution, right? It's a, bio, it's a biologically driven um, institution, um, whereas the trade union is certainly not a biologically driven institution. Thank God, right? Um, uh, right? And, it's, and, and that's, and the church, is, is, a, is a unique institution in its own right, right? There's a sense in which it's not a voluntary organization. So this is, I get a lot of pushback from people, especially my, they say, well, what about religious freedom? I says, look, religious freedom is fine, but that does, you don't have to tell me, you don't, you're not gonna say that just because we you know, believe in religious freedom, that somehow the church is a voluntary association like a chess club. It's not, it's the body of Christ. It's the, the mystical body of Christ. Right? And, and so that, there needs to be differentiation of how we understand the various tasks of those communities. So, and what, on what basis are they founded? So Doiveard would make the sense in which he would sort of talk about natural communities, God-ordained communities like the church, um, and then he would talk about 
organized communities, human organized. So that's the sort of the voluntary communities that we, you know, the chess clubs, the chambers of commerce, the trade unions. Um, but those, or, so those are organized within given time by human beings to fulfill a particular need at a given time. And it may be like, uh, you know, it may be that we don't need trade unions in the same way that they were manifested in the 1870s until today. In fact, some of the arguments that I'm making at Cardas is we need a new institutional uh, substantiation of what it means to be organized as labor, but which is still serving the goal, the ultimate goal of just relations between employees and employers and just pursuit of the, of the, of the command to have dominion. Right? Does that, does that help? Yeah, like, so if you, if you get rid of the sphere language when you talk about responsibilities we have to each other in virtue of actual needs that people have, then, yeah, it'd be easier to get that first. Yeah, yeah, and it, sphere, sphere is, I mean, I think Kuiper is a politician too, right? So he's making political speeches, and sometimes you gotta have something that you can tweet. <laughs> and you can tweet, yeah, sorry. Um, so I do, is this on point? Yes, yeah, okay. on verification. Um, would, it, would it be possible maybe next year to, you know, we're talking about family, we're talking about um, political institutions. At what point would we, could we connect it to say something like uh, roles, vocation, kind of these? Precisely. God-given, God and how do we understand that? Really? Offices offices, right? Authority, like authorities and offices is absolutely, that would be language that would be not only totally acceptable, but probably more helpful. And, you know, that's the one thing we were talking about yesterday. I'm not sure who was concerned about this sort of separation from the church and the state, but the, the recognition that insofar as Brad disciplines Soren, um, he's not doing so as an elder. Uh, maybe you, maybe you would actually at some point, but that would be a different, he would be going to visit his son in a different function in that case, right? Um, okay, so Ben. Largely 
I think we have a purely voluntarist understanding of relationships now. 100%. You choose your God, you choose whether you want to be related to any of your neighbors. You choose if you want to even be related to reality and, 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 and natural reality. Yeah, natural, like your body. Correct. And so yeah. the, what, what happens as, as these created relationships are increasingly denied, they don't disappear because they're denied, is now you really need a manager. Yep. Because it's hard to, to keep atoms, all of which are sovereign and, and demanding their own rights, so if this is not a relational model. It's really a, it is a rights model centered on the self. And now you really need a manager. And so you have this increasingly bureaucratic state apparatus to, to kind of solve the problem of a, of a disintegrated anthropology. And I just wonder if perhaps typically we could go back to these sort of fundamental relations, which I think undergird these states. And I think that really is what sphere, sphere sovereignty, as I understand it, is sort of trying to get at, is, is those, well, does that make sense? That, that's brilliant. Uh, I, I think you're right on. I think, I think you should write that into a paper. Um, uh, in fact, I might even pay you if you want to write it for comment. Uh, 3,000 words, due next week. Uh, <laughs> $300 for you, good price. Um, I, I, ben, I think, you're, I think you're right on point. I think that the, um, the sphere sovereignty is, is, not, is intended to sort of, um, the, the sort of the difference between what you said uh, sort of a relational view of society in which those relationships are different, right? Differentiated relationships, differentiated responsibilities. And so far as Adam relating to Eve as his neighbor and his wife, right? The mother of, of, of the, the human race, um, propagating the human race, right? Um, the relationship of Adam and Eve to God, uh, the steps sort of establishing the church. And, the, and I think it's a unique insight you made about the state and it's a very sort of Lockean uh, insight about the the need, you know, families move out and they begin to develop the earth, but there needs to be a sort of, there needs to be justice amongst the neighbors. Somebody needs to execute those justice. And I say, by the way, that's, that's a defense for a prelapsarian um, defense of the political authority, right? Calvin, Calvin, this is often, Calvinists often say this, this, the state is intended to restrain evil, right? And I should be careful because state is actually a modern thing. It's the, the political authority, yeah, the magistrate, the political authority, um, is, but there's a sense in which even in a perfectly virtuous society, you, you would need somebody to order, to properly order, right? And so there's a sort of, there's an intrinsic, um, there's an intrinsic political authority built in even to the, um, and which would actually be, you know, in relation to God's image, right? The, the, the sort of, the king is here, he puts his statue here, his image is here, which is a political responsibility. I, and, and particularly how, um, how different that is from, as you said, the managerial approach of a disintegrated anthropology. That's a brilliant, that's brilliant, because I think that's a, that is exactly right. And people like Patrick Deneen um, and my, my mentor, David Coises, talked about the stages of liberalism, says, you know, at the end of it, when you get to the point where everyone's an individual and you have uh, rights that, effectively the right to choose, you have um, what he calls the choice enhancement state. Right, so every the state's job is to ensure that everybody has as many choices as possible, but that becomes an ex as we said yesterday an arbitrary. It ends up saying an arbitrary. Why limit this choice as opposed to this choice? We talked about it in Jared's you know um, session. It you need it's a manager, and sometimes that manager is going to be arbitrary and blunt. So okay, so um, uh, I do have John. That was a great point. Thank you. I have John, um, and then. And I forget your Scott. Oh, is it right on point? Okay, rebut. Then rebut. Then rebut. No, because if this is right on point, I'm putting a I'm putting a plug for voluntarism. You know, 
Henry Maine's famous dictum, you know, we see, and he wrote in the middle of the 19th century, Western civilization see the progress from status to contract. That notwithstanding the social atavism we see today, there was for a thousand years a freeing of the human person to engage in multiple operations. So it's not all bad. So the managerial state has to respond to disintegration, yet there was a differentiation that on the positive side of that, that led to something whether you call them spheres or not, they're differentiated responsibilities we have as society differentiates and progresses. So yep. it's it's not a problem. Yeah, I don't think Ben yeah, I don't think Ben was arguing against sort of the I know he wasn't. The, I, I, I know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's but it's a, it's an important insight, right? Because Christians will often say when we say, "Look, a purely like uh, a, a voluntarist society," people are like, "What are you opposed to to choice?" Right? That's that's what like what are you going to say? The dad's going to tell the the daughter who to marry and all the rest yes. of that stuff. And we're like yes. we're like, no, that's not actually. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm I'm. I'm so I'm not going to tell my daughter, but I will certainly try to arrange my sons to get married to some of the. Uh, I will limit what, her yeah. <laughs> I'm more worried about my sons, to be honest. Um, but we're making some deals with camels and so on. I've got a good family in my church. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, there's a sense in which, because you do, we at least, and, and we recognize that it's, it is, a, it is a, a good thing that a woman and a man can enter into a relationship of their own free choice. And in fact, um, in the, I think it's the Byzantine marriage liturgy, the question is, do you of your own will agree to marry this man? Right? That's a unique, actually uniquely Christian country. Uh, so it's a recognition that that relationship is one based on, on mutual love insofar as no one can be compelled to love Christ. You shouldn't be compelled to love a husband, right? Which isn't, anyway, so that's, okay. So we've got John um, and then John, the Jared, John, Jared, Jake, Triple J. I'm gonna be quick. I, I think yeah. you fleshed a lot of it out, but you know, especially in my role, what I think a lot about, and I don't think the sphere sovereignty conversation helps me, is we, we tend to grant, like you keep saying the state, like it's something that transcends humanity or something, right? There's only one transcendent structure, and that's the church. The family doesn't transcend that. It must be populated, right? The state doesn't transcend that. It must be populated. And so isn't the better way to think about it as the church flowing out into those different, when I say the church, I don't mean the building. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean us, all of us people in the room, and, and we divvy up those responsibilities. You know, your job's going to be one thing, and my job's going to be another. But when we talk this way, it's like we grant some kind of transcendent, like that's going to exist kind of no matter what in the way that it exists. And I think that makes it hard for, for people to, for Christian people to go out and think, right? Like for me, I'm a father. Um, I guess I'm a state, and and, uh, no. and, and, and I've and served as a pastor, and, yeah. and I don't I don't jump from like one bucket to the next. When yeah. I go out and do those things, I just try to let you know my union with Christ drive each of those separate functions in an equitable and fair way. So I I, I think you fleshed, I, you were kind of going at something like that, and I and I couldn't. Couldn't quite connect it there. So, so, I, so great point. I, my response would be: everyone, every Kuyperian talks all day about sphere sovereignty. They, which again, as which we already established, is probably not the best way to describe it. Um, and the state's not oppressive, right? When the state's oppressing you, yeah. the state, there's no transcendent 
nebulous thing is oppressing me. I'm oppressing me. Right? Like as a person. The state is populated with people. Yeah, except, yeah. Our, except our justice system, when you're arrested, it says the people versus. Uh, no, agree. Right? So, or as, the, a, as a collective. In our, in our case, the crown, the queen. But it's not like we're trying to affect some metaphysical force that's being pushed down on us, right? Where it's people. No, you're exercising, yeah, exactly. Yeah, precisely. The elect, the people who pass the laws, and the yeah. people who... You're exercising your responsibility as a human being. I, I, so, agreed. Agreed. And, and I just, I want to get to the one point, because you said, I don't just, you know, hop, and now Claire. I'm a different person. John is still, you know, John Clare is John Clare is John Clare. Uh, you're not. You don't. You're not like Superman going into. Uh, maybe you are, but whatever. Um, <laughs> chief of police, guys. Chief, <laughs> chief of police. But the the one thing Kyperians continually fail to talk about, and it drives the, the drives me nuts, is they forget sphere universality. If if you're uh, uh, Verdian types, would talk about sphere universality. There's an in, there's an integration of all these spheres. That there's a there's a sense in which. They cannot exist in their unique thing without the, the without the totality of them, and there's a, and you know they would talk about it in a variety of ways, even including the various aspects of life. That in a in a um, you know this is getting deep into the doy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And some of that language is is obtuse and jargony, and and but there is an insight into it as well. In so far as you know, um, a marriage requires financial resources to thrive. Right. So that you know, if you don't if you don't have job, uh, a marriage is going to be very hard to you know you can't buy a house together, you don't have a bed to, to sleep in, you don't have food to feed your children, etc. So there's an economic aspect to to that. There's a as we talked about, there's a juridical aspect of the family. The father, the mother execute justice on their children, um, justice on their children, uh, sometimes with. Um, uh, but you know what I mean. There's a sense that there's a but that is that is formed and sort of guided by the the the, the, the unique character of that relationship, which is a way of substantiating what it means to be a human being. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not, it's like when, when you're in church, John, you're still John, chief of police. Um, like it's not like you suddenly, it's not like we're liberals, right? And we strip, we step behind this veil, strip ourselves of all of our, you know, that's actually, that's the problem with liberalism and that whole veil of ignorance is it effectively says, stop being a human being, stop being the embodied human being that you are, and then come into the political sphere. That's that is that's anti-human, right? No, you come in as a as a you know person with a with a unique history, as Jared was talking about as well. There's a givenness to our um, uh, to our to our beings. Well, so. I think that's where the language of function and what everybody else was driving at. Yeah. That, yeah. That was kind of the pressing question I mentioned to you yesterday, separating kind of what you were talking about yesterday from the kind of southern. Thornwellian spirituality of the church. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. So, uh, so James James Henry Thornwell, especially during the conversations around slavery, uh, you know, would have and somebody here is probably way smarter on this than I am. Could uh, would have said something like, you know, the church's mission to speak is is the gospel, and not necessarily to arbitrate social issues like slavery or like. This, that it has a spiritual mission and a spiritual purpose, and that's not to say Christians can't go out and fight those issues. But the church, as a collective organization, shouldn't necessarily be coming down. Did I, did but I the church, no? well, I would. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. So I was trying to distinguish 
I think there's, uh, let me just say, I think there's a spectrum on which I would agree, like there's a spectrum of things on which I think there are some things the church should speak very clearly on. Um, and there are other things which I think it's, it's not competent to do. Um, uh, you know, so I think, you know, should the church say that the state should recognize the unborn child as a person, as a legal person? Yes. I, I think, I think that's the case. Should the state, um, should the sta or should the church you know, uh, press the state to institute a $15 minimum wage? No. Uh, it, can, it can have those arguments and it shouldn't be, and certainly it should be forming, this is the other thing, it should be forming people in such a way that when they, ex you know, they, they execute their public office, they're, they're that's not the same thing. See, I agree with you there, right? Yeah. It's one thing for the church to say those things and it's another thing for the church to form people in which way that they would go out into those other spheres and say those things. That's so, but, not, but I don't, I don't, I don't. Form people if that's part of the teaching ministry. It seems yeah. to me the important thing is the teaching ministry of the church needs to be clear about when it's speaking unequivocally the word of the Lord and when it is uh, making predictions, you know, saying, making predictions and equivocally The problem with Thornwell is he wanted to form some kind of, he, there was no spectrum. The church couldn't say, we are certain about this. This this is a grayer area. Gotcha. You want an a priori rule for saying um, you cannot you cannot speak at all to those things that are beyond the gospel. And I would say the church has to speak to things beyond the gospel. It has to be clear about when it's when it is doing so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, that's the it's the spectrum thing, right? It's a spectrum thing. I think the gospel is very clear on some things. Um, you know, uh, and you know, people say, "Well, there's nothing in the there's nothing in Scripture that says abortion." It doesn't Scripture doesn't talk about abortion, right? This is the the flip side of, you know, this is well, jeepers, come on! If you can't, if you cannot, you know what I mean? It does in some sense, but it doesn't talk particularly legal. But I think on that issue, you know, on on whether or not the state grants legal personhood to an unborn child, I think the church does have and should have a very clear political statement on it. I really do. I really do think that that's the case. But I, th I don't think that that's true for every political issue. Because I think there are certain political issues that are sort of fundamental, foundational. Um, and again, those get, you know, and then the question is, you know, and, there are, and there's the line. But, but we're human beings. We're, we're given wills and, and the ability to make judgments, prudentially, right? And so, but what I would get nervous about was to say the church should never do that. Because then you're in a situation where you know, um, my, my family is a Dutch, Dutch background and my grandfather was in part of the resistance movement in, in the 1940s when the Nazis were occupying Germany. His brother was killed in a, uh, a camp, and I keep thinking, you know, should the reformed churches have made a statement on Nazism? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Did, should the churches in South Africa, should the Reformed Church in South Africa have made a statement on apartheid? Yes. Now, this is a different question than the question that the CRC is, should the Belhar Confession be a confession of, our, our, of the Christian Reformed Church in North America? If they do that and you're on the other side of that issue, does that remove you from the church? <coughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I, again, again, it depends on the issue, is all I'm saying. So yes, should, should the Bishop of New York be granting communion to a, uh, uh, a governor 
who is, who is quite clearly opposed to the church's teaching on human life? No. I, I've, I've often thought, you know, why is he not under discipline? Um, but this is a reform guy speaking. So, um, okay, so Jared, did you get your question answered or are you up now? So I have Jared, Jake, and then um, yeah. Joe, Joe. Jared, Jake. John, Jared, Jake, Joe. Let's keep the J rolling. Yeah, um, Joe Minnick. Yeah, that's liberal proceduralism. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, back to this idea of vocation, I think that, that seems to me reflecting on that each of us exists with a variety of vocations, or maybe it's a lowercase new vocation, and all of those then are, are subordinate to a, a, a universal vocation to honor and glorify God and be Lord forever. Um, and, and understanding those relationships, not as things that are This is where I would return sort of Brad's earlier statement about the basis of power. The family can be a, uh, the church can be a, a very strong basis of power against an encroaching market if it's formed properly, right? This is the, this is the, the question again. We, you know, the North American church, particularly in the Protestant tradition, has sort of swallowed hook, line, and sinker market, market sensibilities 
um, or uh, you know, it sees like a market in some ways. It's, we got to market this way. We got to speak of the gospel this way to get more people in. I'm not sure that that's a um, I, that that does happen. But there's also at the same time there's there's many many churches that say we're going to have no truck with this. We're going to you know uh, worship, pray, you know, offer the sacraments and discipline. And there's a and then Jordan actually Jordan Baller has a very good piece that he wrote for Comet. And I I saw it was published in. Uh, people of the promise about the difficulty of church discipline in a day and age where people can just leave, right? He says the problem is not that, is people just go. Rather than being disciplined by the church, um, you know, if I'm, I've, I've committed some particular public sin or sin and I'm under discipline from my elders, it's a very rare person who stays within the church. They just say, screw it, I'll just go to the one down the road that's more aligned to my... And I'm not sure how... I'm not sure, other than the sort of continual work of the church and formation of children to, to be that, that you can fight against that. Unless you want to prevent people from, from moving, you know, to other churches, which I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't really want. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question. But there's a sense in which the Christian, the, the Christian family, the church, um, and other things can, can fight back against and have different modes of being that relate to, you know, address the, some of the failures of the market and address, you know, you think of the, some of the Cadbury's and stuff who were dealing with some of the, uh, um, the new communities that came around uh, in England, uh, dealing with some of the, the sort of fallout of the market, trade unions. I'm not sure that helps, but yeah. Okay, so I've got, I'm sorry, we've got, we've got about three minutes. We, okay, so, so Joe and then, Pastor, Pastor, <laughs> Okay, so this we're gonna to have to take two more questions. So Joe, so keep it short. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a, it's a, well, it's a, it's a comment and a question. And I will be. No, no comments. No comments. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> I could do the Tyler Cohen thing. I'm cutting do you off. You do uh, the, 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 the spirit sovereignty tradition? Uh, we talked about offices a little bit. Yeah. Does it ever does it ever relate the spheres to these kind of final scriptural offices of prophet, priest, and king, and then spheres as kind of modes? Yeah. Well, certainly, certainly, the office of an elder within the church uh, is described in, in those terms, right? And there's a sense in which, um, and the kingly, the kingly role of the of the political authority, I would say yes. Um, I don't know. I don't so insofar. And there's not been not that I'm aware of that there's done been a whole lot of work done on that, um, prophet, priest, and king, particularly on, when it comes to other social institutions like family. Um, so I, I would just say, I would beg ignorance and say, not that I'm aware of. But it, it yeah. could be helpful differentiating the church, the, the priestly function of the church and the prophetic function of the church. It might be helpful to kind of tease out differences there. So. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it may be. It may be an, a line of inquiry that should be pursued. So can we take one for Alistair? It's Alistair. Uh, just following yeah. on from thinking about the cost that you can move from place to place very quickly, um, social media and the internet the spread, the collapsing of distance by the internet. And then things like the market. All of these things seem to provide obstacles to the formation of differentiated spheres, spheres in the first place. How does a sphere sovereignty position really relate to the conditions of modern life that mm. seem to break down the possibility of differentiation in the first place? I would say um, my, my first response is, is 
they, they're not really breaking them down. They're, they are uh, more cancerous. They're almost sort of like it's fissiparous. So it's almost like the differentiation is happening at hyperdrive, right? So that you end up with effectively a bunch of differentiated atoms, as, as Ben said, the dis disintegrated anthropology. So it's, um, I actually think what the, the challenge is less um, a problem of the ability of these things, these differentiated communities to work, and more of a challenge. The biggest challenge today is integration. I think that's the bigger, I think in our current day and age, the bigger one is, is a challenge of integration. Although I wonder, can differentiation exist where there is no Yes, you can't that's have distinct parts of the body correct. unless you have a unified body. Correct. And that's yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why I said you can't this is the problem with Kuyperians, is they talk about sphere sovereignty when they should be talking about authority and responsibility. And they they never actually talk about the integrated nature of the of the single person of the human being that has to exercise them <laughs> and the society in which we are we are a part of, right? The fact that all of these things have to hang together. It's a personal frustration of mine that, you know, Everyone's making the case the limits of the state here, but they're not talking about the way in which the state can enable families. Certain policies will harm. You know, I talked. I sort of alluded to them yesterday about you know criminal justice policy. Maybe we should be thinking differently about our our sentences for young men, right? Because of, we know the effect that that has on the family. Um, it doesn't mean we should stop doing justice or that you know there should be no retribution necessarily or or reconciliation. You know, but maybe we should think differently about that. Uh, and so, uh, all of which is a long way of saying, absolutely, there can be no, uh, there can be no differentiation without an integration. And if that happens, you actually end up, you end up harming the human uh, human ability to, to to live out their 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 function as a uh, made in the image of God. Ten thirty three, so only three minutes over. I, I'm saying, let's not have the pots call the kettle black. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That was good. Thank you for listening to this audio from the Davenant Institute. You can find more resources from the Davenant Institute on Facebook, our podcasts, and the Davenant Press. We invite you to subscribe to our newsletter at Vontes or read our blog, both available on our webpage. To support the Davenant Institute, go to davenantinstitute.org and scroll to Get Involved.